All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you guys came in. I mean, you out come for our church tonight. <laughs> well, a lot. You, you just took the place of some of the ones that are usually here. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Frida. Talk about inviting people instead of inviting just uh, one or two. You just invite a whole bunch of people. Glad you guys can make it. We uh, are right in the midst of a, kind of a, a study. Uh, we call it communion with the triune God. Communion with the Trinity. And we're not talking about just you know uh, the, the grape juice and, and the crackers. You know. We're actually talking about having a relationship with God. And having a relationship with God the Father. Having a relationship with God the Son. And having a relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And, of course, they're all equal, but yet each one of them is a person. There are three persons, but how many gods? One. And so that is what we've been dealing with for the last several weeks. We started with God the Father, of course, and His relationship with us, and uh, all the love that He cast upon us. And, of course, then He shares His love through the person of Christ. And uh, we've been dealing with him for the last couple of weeks and we'll go into another topic and it's dealing tonight with uh, his pity and compassion upon us. Uh, He has pity and compassion when we go through suffering, when we go through trials, when we go through persecutions, no matter what we go through, and temptations. Anybody ever been tempted? (laughs) He's there. He's always there. And matter of fact, he knows exactly how we feel. That's what's amazing. Say, well, he's God and I'm man, and there's no way he could know my temptations. Uh, Yet he does, and and he feels it. He knows what pain is. He knows what troubles are. And so everything that we go through, it's nothing by surprise to him. He knows exactly how it feels. We had a president one time that said, I feel your pain. Remember that one? (laughs) Well, Jesus Christ feels our pain. He knows exactly what it is. And uh, that's what's amazing to me. Well, anyway, in Ephesians 5.29, I have a a part of the verse there, and then I should have put dot, 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 because you probably should know it, but Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. There's Christ... Christ is the head of the church, just like a husband is of the of the family, and you have the husband and the wife, and uh, here we have Christ and the church, and that's the great. Uh, I think you can say the parallel um, and the the ultimate uh, antitype is really Christ and, and the church, and so the, the 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 husband and wife are really the types of the relationship that Christ has with with us. So that there's a fellow feeling that he has with us as Christians. That's amazing. That's trials, that's persecutions, that's afflictions. He will the ones who have seems to have maybe the most pain. You ever seen some people that have more pain than you? I mean, you've never gone through some of the things that they have. And and yet his presence is amongst them in a real special way. Um, whenever one is really sick spiritually or sick physically or, and weak spiritually or physically, whenever that way they're that way, he is, in a sense, in a human way, more 
attentive to them than even other times or even other saints. It's the ones that are his that he really cares for. And so, it, you know, he suffers with us. I mean, we're going through suffering, going through a hard time. He's there with us. He shares our troubles. It's hard to think of, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he knows about it, and yeah, he cares, but it seems like he's not really doing anything. Well, actually, he is. We may not see it, but at that time, uh, we're kind of cloudy anyway. But he does feel it. And so just like he's the head of the church, he's the husband, and so he exercises pity, he exercises tenderness, he exercises care and compassion. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. In about, as for, for about 45 minutes, 40 minutes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. You are certainly the great God who we adore. You are a God of beauty. And we are amazed. We are in awe of you. It's incredible as we learn more and more of you from your word, your truth. We open up your pages tonight here of our Bibles. And we just try to get a grasp of maybe one little more point that maybe we haven't thought of or haven't thought of recently. And it helps encourage us, Lord. So as we, as we look at that and we see the compassion of Christ, we concentrate on the person of Christ tonight and His feelings for us, sympathizing with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, the first point there is Christ is compassionate toward us in our temptations. He is compassionate toward us in our temptations. Now there's pain, there's suffering, those kind of physical things and mental and spiritual things that we go through. But there are the temptations. Actually, temptations of sin. And all humans have it. We have we battle constantly, don't we? I mean this is this is our war. Hebrews four fifteen gives us some great comfort. I love this passage. It's good to think of. Sometimes we forget. But here we are. 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So if you have a double negative there, which you do, we do not have, who cannot sympathize, which means the positive is we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet, what? without sin. We've been tempted. We've sinned. The Son of God has been tempted. He was tempted heavily throughout His ministry and His life here on earth. He was tempted in ways that we never were. He knows exactly what temptation is. He felt it as a human, being God and and human. Uh, And it says here He was tempted in all things. What all that means, I'm not so sure. All I know is He knows what all the temptations are. He knows how they feel. But He never sinned. Absolute perfect. So, He was tempted like we are. We have infirmities. We have weaknesses. Here is temptations. He's compassionate. He has sympathy. Uh, He he suffers with us whenever we have been tempted. Been weakened down. Go to Zechariah. One of the last books in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 1. a little before Malachi, which is the last book. You turn to chapter 1, verse 12. 
Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? Ah, Ed, what's he talking about there? You know what the context is? Zechariah, what's the 70 years? Uh, The Babylonian captivity. There you go. They were a disobedient nation, right? This, this is the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They were taken to captivity, Babylon, 70 years. God punished them. He had to. He warned them and warned them and warned them, sent the prophets. They kept being indignant. And you have the, the angel of the Lord here saying, how long will you have no compassion on them? When are you going to show your compassion? Now we'll move over to chapter... Uh, 2, verse 8 and 9. Look at the favor, the grace, the mercy, the love that God has for His people. What did I say? 8 and 9? Verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory He has sent Me against the nations which plunder you. The nations came, of course we think of Babylon, but they had other nations that had done them throughout their history where they had plundered Israel. For he who touches you touches the... What is it, Penny? The apple of his eye. The most... What is it? The apple of your eye. When you, when you look at that, you think, you, know, you think of the pupil and you think of the most tender place in, of anywhere. And yet he says here... For he who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. And that shows you what kind of care he really does have for his people. But he had to bring discipline upon them. But now he shows favor to them. And he says in verse 9, For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be, plund- uh, they will be plundered for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Verse 10, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? And so he says, in the end, this is it. I will be for my people. He will always be. He always was, even when he punished uh, his people. His remnant there are uh, his people who he's going to be coming back for. And he will punish the nations. And, of course, he, he has done that in the past. He's doing it in, in, even in the present. But ultimately, in the future, we see this. And Zechariah is pointing all the way through history, but really pointing all the way to the very glory of glories. That's quite, what kind of God we have. They touch you. They're touching me. They're touching the apple of my eye. This most tender place. God. Now, now we're talking about Christ here. Because... And you have to think of different persons when you think of God. When you pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven. But there's one who intercedes for us, and His name is Jesus. As the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. So, Jesus is tender. He's compassionate. He condescends down to us. It's, it's, it's the greatest kind of tenderness that we can ever even imagine. You know, we, we like to think of tenderness, right? Well, under all the infirmities, we have to realize that we're lambs. When we are considered as lambs, we have to think of the who? The 
shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who is tender. He knows how burdened we are with temptations. He knows our weaknesses. Christ is our shepherd. He is the great shepherd, isn't He? He's our chief shepherd. He is the shepherd of the church. He feeds His own sheep. Remember that verse we started off with in Ephesians 5.29? As a man nourishes and cherishes his own flesh. As you take care of your own self, Christ takes care of His bride, us. That we will be married to Him one of these days. Great wedding feast. We, we talked about that. Was that last week? That we talked about the, the marriage? It was, wasn't it? So if He sees a poor, weak lamb... What does he do with that lamb who's really beaten down and weak? Comes along, picks him up, puts him in his arms. By the way, if a lamb has broken its leg, the shepherd will carry that little lamb around. And, you know, because we'll not be able to move, and so he it's like he so tender, so gentle. This is Christ. This is Christ our Lord. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's going to come back and judge all the rest of the sin of the world as the the nations look upon Him, the ones who have not trusted in Him, and He will judge them. At the same time, here He sees a poor soul, weak, tender, beaten down by temptations, failing when when the temptations hit, ready to sink. And what does Jesus do? Takes him into his arms. Some kind of a gracious promise. He carries him, he bears him up, whenever that little lamb can't go one step forward. And that's what he always does. Now we can we can sin and he can take that crook, can't he? That staff Boom, and just bring them right back into the path where they need to be going. But also, there's the time whenever it's such a poor soul who's so weak, ready to sink, and he takes him to his arms. Well, that's a compassionate Christ, isn't it? This is Jesus. This is Jesus, our shepherd. He graciously supplies, and like the word grace, there's a seasonal grace. If you have been into his word, You've studied about Christ. You know who He is. You're walking along with Him very well. Whenever there comes a time of need, you know what Scripture that you can turn to and He comforts you. Right? All of a sudden, a certain Scripture comes to you. You ever had that? When you really needed it or somebody gives a Scripture to you and you go, oh, thanks, I needed that. You've had it happen, haven't you? Well, look in Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4 is dealing with uh, Sabbath rest. It's talking about rest. And in verse 16, it talks about the, the high priest who's compassionate. I'll start off with verse 14. This is how chapter 4 ends up. Therefore, therefore is therefore because of what's been before, right? <laughs> Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hang on to it. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he can, right? 
but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Here's where we're getting at right here. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When that time of need comes, then that particular grace or that seasonable grace. It's a a particular time that we really need an extra special serving of grace. And there it is. He says, draw near. Okay, when when you're tempted, therefore, because you have one who intercedes for you like a high priest, draw near with confidence knowing that He is God. He's going to come through for you to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace. The fountain of grace. It's endless. It keeps just flowing out. right? So we go to Him. We draw near this throne of grace. We get mercy. We get grace. And you have temptation. You know what He does? You say, Oh Lord, I am weak. And I'm so tempted. Whatever it may be. And that's a time of need. He gives out an extra special set of grace and mercy. So that's what Christ does. Does that help help you think of Christ a little bit more? You know, I mean, we all know He loves us and that He's gentle and He's compassionate. Sure helps to be reminded, though, doesn't it? It's always excellent. His excellencies are incredible. Look at First Corinthians ten, verse thirteen. Dealing with temptation. How does He help us when we're tempted? Does He actually do that? Absolutely. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That means to go through, to persevere through this. He may not take you out of it as soon as it happens, but as you're there and you're counting on Him at this time of grace, He will, he will give you the way of escape when it's time to do that. And that's how you endure temptation and you beat the, the temptations that come your way. Um, he's able to... Uh, secure them. He, he suffered to the point of temptation. Can you guys think of a time when Jesus was really tempted? Did that really happen? What's right off the top of your head? Got one? Was that? Out in the wilderness. Out in the wilderness. Was he tempted pretty heavy? Boy, did they have a war. It was a battle. Forty days, forty nights in the wilderness. No food. Unbelievable. Yeah, even if he wasn't interested in stuff, he must have been hungry. Oh, yeah. And what's the first temptation? Hey, take that stone and make it bread. And he could have very well done it. Satan knew it. That's why he tempted him that way. But no. No, he answers with Scripture. He's given three of them there. Um, temptations. He had great victory there. But that wasn't the only time. And it continued on. 
Satan went away for a season, but he came back. And he came back with a, a, a vengeance all the way through the ministry. And of course, the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have been tempted just to forget it all because he knew what was coming next. He knew about the cross and how hard that was going to be physically. And yet, he said, you know, Father, take this cup from me. If possible, it wasn't possible because the plan was already been made. But he said, at the same time, let it be your will. And we already know what the will was. But it did show his humanness there. Okay, there's another one. In the Old Testament, Genesis 39.9, there's a great temptation there. It happens to be Joseph. Joseph is forced to go to Egypt. Bought as a slave. And you get into Genesis 39.9. Pick it up, um, verse 7. It came about that after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. Look at the responsibility that he's given me. How can I you know, do something against him like this? There's no way I can do this. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Not only sin against the the husband, this master, but also against God. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, it's constant, day after day this went on. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. What a temptation. Could have been pulled off very easily. The rest of the story not happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand. And what did he do? Fled and went outside. That's what you do with sin. When you know you're being tempted and you know exactly what it is, what do you do? You flee. Paul said to Timothy, do what? Flee youthful lust. Same kind of thing. I, I will tell you, Joseph couldn't do this on his own. He would have failed like any other man. He is a special man, but the thing is, he's God's man. And God's men can fail, but I will tell you that it was only because of the kind, tender, compassion, the fortification that Christ gives us with all His grace, the abundance of grace, for when temptations come, and that Scripture that we read about the season of grace that, that He has, He was prepared already to say no, but it just kept coming at Him. And I'm sure there were probably times when He thought, I could give in here, but Christ is the one that keeps us sometimes from doing a sin. It's the power of God. We can't do anything on our own that's good without Christ and His grace. Uh, and and the sins that so often seem to that we are exposed with the ones that we battle with the hardest and and have failed with uh, that's when he comes in and helps the very weak ones 
when we're at our weakest, sometimes he does that. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But there are other sins that are not so much of an exposure and uh, he can he can keep us from doing that too or he can allow us to do what we are going to do. Uh, most often, and we're held um, accountable for all our actions, but it is always by the grace of God that we can do anything, right? Somebody can say, well, yeah, but it was Joseph that said no. Well, it was, but did he do that on his own? Because there is not anything that we can give glory on to ourselves, is there? Christ was right there giving a, a grace in the time of need, a seasonal grace at that point. There's another one that's called actual grace. It's a lot like this one, but it's, it's dealing with David. In uh, 1 Samuel 24... Am I going real quick? You guys getting it? Okay. 1 Samuel 24... Four through six. You've got David. David's running from who? Saul. Saul's king. David is the one who's going to replace Saul. But it's not time yet. But there was an opportunity that David had one time at a cave. Nobody knew about it. Not even the king. David was right there and he had the chance. The chance to kill Saul. Get rid of him. Saul has been trying to kill him. Saul threw spears at him. He had he had uh, soldiers and many men after him constantly. And he's out in, out in the wilderness and going from cave to cave and different places. Now, to you guys, that might sound pretty good, going from one cave to another. <laughs> but this is not too comfortable here. Verse 4, The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, you behold, I'm about to give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. So that's what David's men are saying. Then David arose, cut off the edge of Saul's head, robe, robe, secretly. Saul doesn't even know he's there. Cuts off the robe. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of, of Saul's robe. It wasn't bothering him because he didn't cut off his head. He was bothered because he even did the deal with the robe. Because he knew that he is to submit to the king until God says it's time. And God does it in his way. But David even felt bad about that. Interesting, isn't it? It's a little power that he can prove. It was showing. It was showing. It could almost be taken as a little bit of pride there. Yeah. Hey, look! Look what I got. And Saul had to know. Oh, this was him. That's right. And he didn't even do that. And yet they had every right to do it. That's the way I would have, you know, thought. He had every right to do it. So he said to his men, "Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord. My, my Lord, what the Lord's. There's the Lord God, Yahweh." And then that I should do this thing to my king, the, the Lord's anointed to stretch out, and Saul is anointed by God to be the king. He's anointed. Everybody that has power, where did they get it from? God gave it to him. And say, did he do that with a communist? Yeah. He's in control. 
of all kings. I mean, it's, it's just like streams and channels. And he has control. If he wants them out of office, he'll take them right out. If he, he wants to keep them there, even as evil as they are, he can keep them there. That's how much a control of a sovereign God we have. And that gives us comfort. Because if he doesn't have control over what's happening, then what kind of God is he? He's less than we think he is. So it's really, it's like he, he was tempted to do that, and then he said, no, can't do it. He went right to the very edge. It's like he hears a word, this is the right way, walk in it. How, how many times have we come close to sinning, and we know better, and we go, I can't do that. Far be it from me. That's, that's the power of Christ. By the way, sometimes, did you know that Christ does even take away the temptation itself? Sometimes He lets us go through it until it's time to get out, providing a way of escape. Sometimes He takes away the sin. We don't even know it. Uh, look in 2 Peter 2.9. This is our great compassionate Jesus Christ. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly believers from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. He knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and He also knows how to punish the unrighteous for, for judgment. But here it is us, the godly, Sometimes He can rescue us. He can take that sin away. He can even keep it from happening. Um, sometimes a poor soul knows not what to do. But He delivers the godly out of temptation. There can be many temptations. Multicolored, multifaceted, different kinds of temptations that are thrown at our way. Have you ever experienced a multitude of temptations? Yeah, Sure have. Have you ever become quite weary of them? And you know what? You've tried everything that you could. All help, all assistance that you could have. You've called out, you've called out all the prayer warriors and they're out there praying for you. And yet, we see that unexpectedly the Lord Jesus Christ in His compassion, in His tenderness, can rebuke Satan. That we don't even hear this. We don't hear any rebuking of what Satan might be doing because Christ comes in the storm and it's like, peace be still. It's like that. You ever been through a tough time and all of a sudden those roaring waters are just getting ready to, to swallow you and then boom, and you can't even see a ripple. Sometimes that's how it happens. What about when it just is there and it doesn't seem to go away? So we're looking at different ways. Sometimes He takes it beforehand. Sometimes He takes it in, in the middle. Sometimes He takes it when we've gone through all the way to the end. This... Next one is by giving fresh supplies of grace. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Here's Paul. Paul's a mighty man of God. Would you say that Paul is a praying man? 
Absolutely. Paul has been able to heal people. He's been able to do things that have been incredible, that were supernatural. Other times, and most of the time, here's how it is. In 2 Corinthians 12.9. Does somebody have that? I am really slow here now. Okay, Somebody read that. 2 Corinthians 12.9. Has anybody ever heard that one before? <laughs> Do you have a plaque or anything at home? You know, you might have something. Like My grace is sufficient for you. What's what's happening there? If you back up a little bit, you'll see there was a thorn in the flesh. We don't know if that's a literal thorn or whether it's really some kind of a spiritual thorn in his flesh. And it said that he had prayed how many times? Three times that the Lord would take it from him. The Lord didn't do it. Have you ever prayed to some, something for the Lord and you, you just know it's got to be God's will and yet He doesn't take it? It's still there. What's so good about that? Well, Paul teaches this lesson here. There's a reason that God didn't do anything there. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Paul was weak. He's like us. He's a man. Most gladly, therefore, I will ne- I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, there we go again, may dwell in me. God's going to get the glory out of this. No, He didn't take it away. But His grace is sufficient for me to sustain me. This is the great Christ that we have. Oh, we would like it whenever He would take everything away and anytime something would immediately happen, wouldn't it? But see... Most of the time, He does this. But He can do all the other ones that we've looked at too. But a lot of times, it's that that His power would be perfected in our weaknesses. And so we trust in Him. That's a great verse. And my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. It can handle anything. His grace is that beautiful flows from the fountain. By the way, it never gets used up. How would that look like, the uh, power, my power is sufficient? Well, he's able to, Paul is able to continue on physically, mentally, spiritually, and he's trusting in Him even though God has not seen fit to take away this particular thorn. Some say it's a false teacher that's going around, and, and this is Second Corinthians, and a lot of that is because those guys are following Him and... Um, He's been at places where he's preached the gospel, and they come in and, and try to take everything that he said and twist it around. And or they, they could have been like Judaizers, you know. And he's he's talking about the grace of the gospel of God, and they're discrediting him. And they're discrediting him. And, and that could have very well been times. the. What's that? He only prayed about it three, three times. times. But you don't know exactly. <laughs> I how prayed about it. <laughs> That's right. Three times in a minute sometimes. <laughs> Maybe what exactly how he did pray about for that three times he might have changed it up to you know verses like take them. So do, are we supposed to just quit then after three know? times? Yeah, I'll just say. <laughs> yes, so it says three times. Okay. No, this, this is when you want to have, Yeah, so and he wants us to keep pursuing him too and keep knocking on the door. Because sometimes it's not the timing. 
of it to do it. You know. What happened to Paul is that it was it, it came to his attention finally of saying, you know what? Okay, I prayed once, I prayed twice, this is the third time. Whether he answers this or not in the way that I want it, he's doing it, he's given me the grace to be able to continue on through this. He had bad eyesight. He had how many how many lashes on him? How many times did he gotten a thirty nine lashes? I mean he's beat up. I mean he's down to he's worn down to nothing. He's been in shipwrecks. All you have to do is read Second Corinthians. I, I think the same is that the same chapter? <laughs> Where he talks about all of the same stuff. Uh, that he had gone through and God saw fit to keep him going until the time was that he go and get to be with the Lord. And delivered out of all this finally. There's somewhere he ends up as a bouncer. That's right, and and he it, it came to him, you know. That's it. My grace is sufficient for you, and it's like Christ just spoke the word to him. Remember, he is a prophet. He, he is an apostle, where he's getting direct revelation from God. And it might have been that God said, "My and and Christ right there." My grace is sufficient for you. This is the grace of Christ. The power of Christ would be seen in this. As weak as he is now look, looking, he could have taken all the wisdom that he had as a rabbi, as a Pharisee um, from the tribe of Benjamin and all the credentials that he had, and he could have built upon that. But yet, God kept taking more and more away from him so that everything was upon the tension of Christ. And that's what He lived for. My grace is... This is all you need. So the lesson for us today is what? His grace is all we need. All we need is Christ, right? Well, in James 1, we go to another one here, and He gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom throughout all the temptations and such. And if you read uh, James... One and say, what do you mean wisdom? Where's that at? Um, Verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask a God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you want wisdom and you really mean it, he'll give it to you. Now back up, and here's how you react to things that don't go your way. Here's verse 2. Consider it all joy. What? My brethren, when you encounter various trials, that means many kinds of trials, tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it produce? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's where it's going to finally get you. You're going to be a mature Christian. He says... And if you don't get it, he says, then get the wisdom of the Lord and you'll understand that here's how you consider it joy when you have all these trials. Because what it's doing is making you strong in your faith. That's why you have the that's why you have temptations. Does Christ tempt us? No. Does he use temptations? Yes. Does he test us with trials? Yeah, he does. First Peter one six. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed 
by various trials. So that, here's the reason why, the proof of your faith, it's going to show. You're, you're going to prove that your faith is real, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your gold. And he's got to burn off the dross to show what is really true. We're going to prove it. He's proven what is his and what is yours. Right? Exactly. First John 2, 1 and 2. I've got number 6 there on our point number 1. Here's 6 under 1. Doesn't make sense. Under Actually, there's B and then there's 1. It's under B, I guess, isn't it? So I've got 6 points on that. First John 2, 1 and 2. And what you have here is... What did I say? First John 2? This is about mercy and pardon. What about when we sin? What about it? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, even though we do. And if anyone sins, okay, if they do, we have an advocate or we have a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, also the righteous. Who's our advocate? Jesus Christ is the one who is interceding for us, isn't he? And he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction to God for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Every tribe, nation, tongue. Okay. He 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 relieves it even when we do sin. There's his mercy and his pardon for the ones who trusted in him. Isn't it great to know? Even when we've sinned, he still has mercy and pardon. Okay, number two, we're about at the end of this. Christ is compassionate toward us and our affection. What was, what was it that we just talked about? Temptations. Now, what about all the, the afflictions? The pain that comes our way. What's happened? We just introduced the interceder for us or the lawyer for the defense. We sin. Jesus Christ stands up and says, Father, remember this. I died for their sins. And He says, yes, that's right. We're, we're forgiven people. Fraternity. But yet there is a reality. We, 1 John 1 says we are to confess our sins. A true believer is one who repents. He confesses his sin. Even not only at salvation, but all of his life he confesses his sin. Because he realizes he's nothing without Christ. Well, Christ intercedes on our behalf. Uh, we saw in Zechariah, there's an intercessor there in, in that uh, chapter 1 that we had read earlier. Uh, Hebrews 7.25. Uh, I only have so many verses here and I'll, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut it. But this is good to know. This is why we can go through all of this. Here's the high priest. You had, you had the priest and that priestly system, the Aaronic priesthood, all through the Old Testament. Christ comes on the scene, fulfills it. He is the priest. He is the king. He is the prophet. How many offices are there? Prophet, priest, king. There are three. He fulfilled them all. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He's, he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the Levitical tribe but he's from the ultimate. And so he says, 
verse 23, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever. The priests died. Jesus died, but He arose. He continues forever. And what is He doing? Interceding for us. He holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, here we go, verse 25, He is able, and that's a power word, also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. The high priest is still living. The other priests die. He is still living, making intercession for us. And you know what? Right now, He's interceding for us. He's the great high priest. He's our lawyer. I mean, the enemy doesn't have a chance. You can't take Him on. And He's going to do this, and this guarantees our salvation forever. Because He continues forever, and He saves forever. That's a great verse for those people who think you can lose your salvation. He's the one who saves us, and He's the one who keeps us. He's the one. We could not keep ourselves. But it's Him. He gets the glory. You know what? So often, we're on, on a, you know, with our own condition, much of the time, there's a lot of times we don't even know how close we are to sin or just afflictions. Things are always can be always around us going on. Angels come in and minister to us. We don't even know. Christ dwells in us and He keeps us from some kind of horrible accident that could happen. He does some amazing things. He intercedes. And we don't even know what our condition is. And here's Christ. It's through common providence. And you know, there's miracles, and everybody knows, oh, that God really stepped in, did something. He did something supernatural. And he can do that. Is that the normal way that he usually does it? No. Because it's supernatural. Usually he works through natural means. Providence means he works through multitudes of thousands, of millions, of billions of different kind of situations that are going on that we have no idea what's going on. And yet he's doing it. He's putting all of these things together and he's weaving this in this grand design and we're part of the story. We're in the we're in the movie. We're in the book. And he's interweaving these different things that go on and he keeps us from destroying ourselves from devour, being devoured because He's interceding for us. And He rebukes the sufferings and the afflictions that can come our way. He is with us even when we do pass through fire and water and we do know it. Uh, I've got uh, part B there. Christ will revenge the sufferings from our enemies. I'm not even going to take the time to do but He will avenge His elect there will be a time, and I based it up basically out of Isaiah 63 there, first six three verses, um, with all the folly of all the evil that's going on in the world, He will destroy them utterly and terribly. Eternal vengeance on the adversaries. There will be an eternal punishment 
In Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46, he speaks of that. 2 Thessalonians 1 6, Jude 15. Christ, though, abounds in pity and compassion for his beloved. Okay, we're tying it up with this. Here's point three. This is the quickest point we're going to do. We did two pretty quick. Three is even quicker. We've been talking about temptations, been talking about afflictions. This is the normal Christian life, isn't it? And we see that Christ does an amazing work with everything that's going down. When you have communion with God, is it a one-way thing where God communes with us? And we just say, let go, let God? No. God communes with us and we commune with Him. He's a personal God. Christianity is the only God who's really personal. And of course, we know the Muslims, their God is not personal whatsoever. He does not forgive sin. They don't know that their sins are forgiven. They have to perform and then wonder if they're going to make it. Of course, there's one guarantee. If you load yourself up with a bomb and go in and kill a, a people or go into a crowd and you give yourself up, then you will enter into paradise right? with the... 70 virgins, whatever. Anyway, the saints are to be faithful to Christ. What do we do? He does all of this. How can I pay Him back? Well, we do nothing but worship Him in the way that we are to worship. Give Him all glory, all honor. Embrace Him. Receive Him. Remember we said what well, we said earlier in the study back weeks ago, God gives... So when there's somebody giving, giving a present, what does the other person do? They receive. And then what does the receiver do? Say thank you. He did it. And we give Him love back uh, by being just being thankful and being faithful to Him. So what we do is we practice holiness, obedience, uh, what is it in uh, in Matthew twenty eight twenty? Whatsoever Christ commands us. It says in John fifteen fourteen, "Ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you." And it's required of us that we live to Him who died for us. Second Corinthians five fifteen. Live to Him in all your holy obedience. Live to Him as being Lord and King, this tender, compassionate, gentle shepherd. And live to Him as your Lord and King. Anyway, that's our communion with Him. We're grateful to Him for all that He is doing right now. Who knows what all He's doing? I can guarantee you one thing. He's interceding for us. He was definitely interceding as we were reading and studying here His Word because He wants us to understand Him a little bit better and how He works in our lives. Thank you guys. Thank you very much for coming out because this was a special joy, wasn't it? Have uh, the Michigan people be in our presence. Michiganders. Hey, could I call on Ed to lead us in prayer? Close us. Would that be okay? Sure. That would be all right? Father, we thank You for bringing us here today. We thank You for the teaching we just had. We ask You to give us safe drives home, to 
be with us to keep our eyes on you, our hearts on you, our minds on you. Bless everyone here and bless everyone beyond. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.